When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of book and reading. Today's Thursday, May 12, 2022. I'm Jeff O'Neill, here with Rebecca Shinsky, coming to you from bookriot.com. It's Pulitzer Day. Uh, Pulitzer Prize were announced this week. That'll be our main topic. Uh... I guess this is, I don't know if it's a good segue or not, but as a heads up on the Pulitzer tip, I think CF Tranquility, I guess we're going to do most of our discussion, all of our discussion for the Patreon feed, the wheelhouse that's going to drop yes, next indeed. week. But could you say now, do you think it's reasonable to consider CF Tranquility in the mix for the Pulitzer or NBA or you know end of year awards? Um, we haven't talked about it all oh. together, so this can be our tease. You think it is yes. or is not at this moment in, be- in the ring? I will be very surprised if we get to fall or early next year and are not hearing about, I guess it'll be early yeah. next year, and are not hearing about Sea of Tranquility being a finalist for Pulitzer National Book Award, any of those kinds of big conversations. <clears throat> the Pulitzer is the strangest of them in this regard, which it's a committee within a committee. Yeah. And so you can get some strange choices. And today, I don't know if it's strange, but it's not what I would have expected, though we can talk a little bit more about 2021, not having a lot of... Um, likely Larry's. I don't, that phrase has infiltrated my speech of late. I don't know that. where, where it did comes it come from. from? <laughs> I don't know. Was I listening to like old timey radio? I don't know I what that is. I say it a couple weeks ago on a call and I was like, huh, that's new. Is that even a thing? I don't is that think even it a, is. I don't know. Did you just invent the likely Larry? An idiot, a dialect of one, an idiolect <laughs> is what they call it. A speech made up for idiots by themselves. Um, but I didn't have a whole lot of shocks, can you believe it stuff, but I would say the same that, again, sometimes the um, front runners don't necessarily make it for the reason because they're front runners, but it's the quality of book, and it does some book winner things, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, we call it Oscar bait a little bit yes. in the movie world, and I don't think quite the same thing happens because there's so many books and it's too random, um, but it has award bait written all over. And I, I don't mean that dismissively. I really don't mean that, but it mm-hmm. does. It ticks a lot of the boxes. I think so. Um, a little bit. So you can check that out. It's going to be on the feed next week. We've been doing about once a week of, yeah. of additional audio content. We're going to try to keep that up for a while. We might take a break here and there, or maybe there's some other kind of poll or blog post or something else going. Um, but a good reaction to the Florence Williams stuff so far. I hope everyone enjoyed that. We didn't get any um, ideas for who else to do, which maybe is resonating with our sense of this is a one-off kind of unique singular situation where um, the process, the book, the experience, and then Pushkin itself was willing to play along at Florence, of yeah, course, herself. Too. I think that's right. It was That's a very special audio book. And there will be other special, interesting audiobooks in the future, but I, I think they're uncommon, and mm-hmm. that's what makes them special. Uh, it is. Yeah. And usually, so if you're just listening to this and you're like, what is the Patreon? What is the Wheelhouse? Oh, right. Yeah. There uh, we go. We do ad-free early releases of this show. Um, if you're listening in the regular feed, you'll, you're probably listening on Monday morning. Uh, that's when it's normally released. So Patreon members, we're calling our Patreon the Wheelhouse 
for idiosyncratic shared language reasons. What's an idiolect of two? <laughs> a dualect. Uh, they're okay. Yes, for dualectical reasons. I just made that up. Great. Don't, don't I'm going email with me. it. I made different that up. Than, don't email me. Different than dialectical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everybody gets access, early ad-free access to these shows um, at all of the levels of Wheelhouse membership. And then at a couple of the levels, you also get access to the bonus content. Um, so the early regular episodes are coming out in the Patreon feed on Fridays. And then the bonus content comes out in that feed on Tuesdays as we're as we're going. And there is something new just about every, well, so far every week, probably in the mm-hmm. fullness of time, it'll be just about every week. Uh, but we've got interesting things planned for every week through the next couple of months and you know no shortage of ideas here we've been doing this for 500 plus episodes and Mm -hmm. (laughs) we've got plenty more to go yeah we did a little content planning uh yesterday it's been a wild week here uh uh, and i can't remember if it was yesterday or not but we had one idea that was we kind of came at the same sort of thing from two different angles but we landed on i think a a non-standard content block that I'm as excited for as I've ever been for something we're going to do. And you know what I'm talking I about. I do. And to continue the vagary about it, I yes. looked at the link that you had sent me about this secret thing this morning. I'm just like, holy crap. There's so much to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can, we don't have, this won't be a spoiler, but we were look. we were thinking like, let's look back at some year. We had a really good time. And I thought it was really interesting when we did the 10 years of book riot look back mm-hmm. um, with Amanda for this show that was like, let's just talk about the books that have mattered over the last 10 years. And I thought that was really interesting and fun to do. And we got good feedback that, you know, that's not something you're going to hear on very many shows, especially it's even strange for ours. And so we found a year that made our, you know, kind of made our eyes into manga eyes of desire, you know, the big watery, you know, (laughs) quivering eyes where like, this is the year to do. And so uh, we're going to do that. has to be the show. (laughs) It's pretty good, right? Uh, And so that's one where we're going to try around with some, um, that's a new format. We're going to bring back some of our other familiar, but unfrequent formats too. So check it out. Thank you all so much who have signed up already. Um, it's really it's really been great for us to see all that happening. We're going to continue to pump that out here and stuff on the show. We're going to do our first break and, and get into the news. Uh, I want to save Pulitzers for just a minute. It's been a while since I, I dropped a Is This a Thing um, mm-hmm. link. Did you take a look at this? Did, it was it was early this morning. Just I to did. Just take a look at this thing. Yes, I did take a little bit of a look. I didn't do a deep dive into the piece That's fine. here. But I think I got enough of a look to have a take. Because this is podcasting. So okay, so wait, hold, hold, hold on the take. Yeah, hold okay. the take. I'll, I'll give the overview <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, set us up. There's this company um, called Remarkable, uh, lowercase r, uppercase m. I don't know. People do things. Um, that has sold 1 million devices since 2017 and raised money at a valuation of $1 billion. So what this thing is, is a minimalist, they call it unusual, this is in Mac Rumors, uh, the mm-hmm. piece is by Her- Hartley Charlton, put a link in the show notes here, there's a video where you can see a walkthrough, a minimalist reading and writing focused tablet. So it's been a while since we talked about hardware, and I saw this, and I'd seen this before, and I've always like, no, that's interesting, and maybe I would be interested, except not, because I always think that some experience other than just reading on a tablet is what I'm going to do, like I'm going to buy a stylus and do everything else, but this... Again, it's not just a proof of concept. It's not just some strange thing that's being produced and not sold, and you only get it for $2,000 of your artist. A million is a lot of devices. Now, again, it's over the last five years. But a billion dollars, they've raised money and they're growing. And it is the kind of thing that's different enough from what I have called the gold standard of digital reading, which is 
basically, I would say an iPad Air or an iPad Mini, depending on whether or not you're reading comics or something like that. But it's a full color, very good, interoperable. You can get a whole bunch of apps uh, and and very easy to use. And it's, it's a robust ecosystem, good quality screen, so on and so forth. This is a little bit different. It's e-ink, so it's black and white, right? But it does the thing where you can get a stylus and annotate and draw and read. It supports a bunch of the EPUB stuff. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about before that out, print is still the best if you want to write stuff on your book, right? It's, yep. It just is. And there's some stuff you can do, hacks to be able to annotate or underline on Kindles, at least, where you you know double-click and hold and whatever, and it goes into your file. But there's nothing that quite has yet replicated the feeling, you know, almost the... Um, uh, cliche of sitting down with a textbook and underlining, highlighting, double exclamation point, and then dog-earing everything else so you can remember and add some metatextual information to what you've been reading. This one looks pretty good. People seem to be buying this. So in the great tradition of David Letterman's, is this something or is this nothing? <laughs> Rebecca Shinsky, I will throw it to you. Is this something or nothing? I think it's nothing. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's a well it's not a total nothing like as you were saying a million devices is not nothing nothing but a million mm-hmm. devices over five years I didn't even bother to google how many iPads Apple has sold but I'm I confident mean it's, it's exponentially ridiculous. more yeah. than, than that they're <laughs> on the they're on the ninth generation of iPads it's noted in this piece I think this is nothing because it's really unclear who this is for like mm. m- my sense of the e-read like people's desires from e-reading and sort of where we've landed is that we're far enough out of the initial ebook panic that you and I saw like in the early days of book riot around like is this going to erode all reading and will it erode the sales of print books and whatever that folks who want to annotate the books that they're reading probably mostly do the thing that you and I do of like we read some things digitally the things we want to write on or hold in our hands we just buy the hardcover or the paperback and hold it in our hands this looks to me mostly like it's for that it's not about the reading so much as the writing like I think Mm -hmm. this could be positioned in an interesting way for a customer that wants to take a lot of handwritten notes but have them stored digitally um, without having to like scan things in and out or I mean I don't know I'm sure there are apps that do this for all I haven't touched Evernote in a million years but like for all I know Evernote could do this on an iPad with a stylus I would not be surprised but this looks like it's for that and they seem to be really leaning on the distraction free elements of it that like yeah you're not going to get a bunch of alerts because you won't have a bunch of apps on it you could focus on the thing that you're writing or that project that you're outlining or whatever um maybe creative types that want to be like i don't know storyboarding or doing some sort of planning thing that you would like to have digital records of rather than just put it on a legal pad this seems like it would kind of work for that but i don't know that it's that the distraction free element of it i'm making air quotes that you can't Mm -hmm. see because this is a visual medium podcasting that I don't I just don't know that that's a powerful enough or compelling enough proposition to make someone spend their money on this device instead of an iPad when this device is only $30 less. And It's a great point. Yeah, great I just point. I just don't know. I feel like it's a little late. Maybe this would have been something if it were coming out in 2014. 
Um, mm. we, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think there will be something that disrupts some segment of iPad users or maybe captures people who just, for whatever reason, don't want an Apple device or have a use but like well now that I'm, I'm talking myself out of it like who has a use for e-reading and digital note taking but doesn't have a use for the th other things an ipad can do <laughs> i don't i don't know tell me about I your reaction know. to my take because that was well i think you're right i'm kind of hoping well i'm i like new stuff i like new shiny things and i'm interested in disruption of the status quo is too jargony, but I like to see what else is out there and possibilities. And I'm, I like reading on my phone and iPad digital books, but the annotation experience stinks. But I realized after reading this and thinking about it, and I wondered if you're going to get the same point, you sort of did, is who, how many people really do it, right. right? How much do I really do it? And it's not enough to get into a whole new ecosystem with all its limitations. And Let's take our CA Tranquility discussion. Even if I wanted to annotate it, and even if I got the Remarkable 2, I can't, I can't mark up a Mobi from Amazon or, or Apple because right. you can't mess with that file. That's what DRM is about. And I understand blah, blah, blah. This is if you have PT, PDFs that aren't um, DRM'd, and then you could actually mark up the file and send it back. So I think if you are someone who's dealing with documents, presentations, text a lot internally, like your own organization or whatever is creating a lot of documents. And it still is the case, and we find this with our own company, it's still hard to give accurate notes on visual things, mm -hmm. right? You're like talking about it. So I can see a use case this. And if you look at the little video, it's very slickly done video. And I want to work for these companies and these places, wherever they make these things, <laughs> where it's always like dusk and the coffee's always warm and you're writing on leather desks and everyone's everyone's shirts are pressed and they all have full heads of hair and everyone looks like they're well compensated and rested. Um, but it's like, I don't do this. I'm not marking up a bar graph for a investor presentation for my designer that'll go do it, right? It's just not how I was doing it. And then here's the other thing. The other thing about the physical book that you write in, only part of it is that you wrote in it. The other thing is that it's easy to flip through yes. and see where your notes are. Yeah. And I think that's a huge part of it. Like, as I was prepping, I read Sea of Tranquility in hardcover because we were going to talk mm -hmm. about so it. So did I. I underlined and made notes in the book. And then as I prepped, that's exactly what I did. I went and flipped back through. What did I underline? Of those things, what's still important? How do these pieces all come together? Like, I think where I'm really stuck is if you have a company that does that kind of work where you need to review documents or you need to mark up a visual thing. Yeah. You can do that. You can do it on iPad. That's a great point. You can do it on the Google whiteboard situation. I think Zoom has a tool for it. Uh, I'm sure that there's a thing you could even do this on Slack and that I just don't know what that is because we don't <laughs> use those things. But I think especially after the last two and a half years where collaborating virtually has become essential to really any kind of knowledge work, most of, I, I would bet money that Microsoft Teams has a version of this. You know, most of the big platforms have ways to facilitate that kind of work already. So like, what's the reason that a company would go buy these devices instead of buying iPads? That $30 price difference is not like, if you're in the spot where the $30 price difference between a remarkable two and an iPad is going to be a make or break decision for the mm -hmm. things you're buying for your staff, you have problems other than which device to buy for your staff. So I, I just feel like it's an it's interesting. It feels late. This feels very late to me that if it had been an early alternative available to people who wanted to do these kinds of like the black and white e-ink 
try to mark up a thing pdf like maybe i don't know attorneys who needs to mark things i don't even know jeff who needs to mark things up oh yeah attorneys <laughs> i mean text editors you know a lot of people that are you know documentation there, there's a lot of use cases for it but even the the norwegian ceo here says we're positioning this in a third place right we see that the tablet is becoming a hybrid of the notebook and the phone i think that makes sense yes we're doing this other thing focused on notes books and drawing and i guess it's it speaks so well of the adoption of tablets that there's space for a weird bespoke device like this because you know it's like do you have do people drive smart cars around Richmond at all? Do you see smart cars around? At Are all? those the ones that look like Legos? <laughs> kind like of yes, tiny. they're little little kind of guys that I could never fit in a million years. Right? Yes, I, I mean a couple. I see a few. It's not super popular. Well, again, that's that's a few. So the the car market is so big that there's room for like little strange niches yeah. that is weird and stupid and not a good value proposition for some people. But some people might just want something different enough that you can sell a million of them over mm-hmm. five years because there are billions of iPads out there. And if you think of a phone and iPad as more an iPhone and an iPad or a Kindle as more of a continuum, there are tens of billions of devices. Not tens of billions is probably a lot, but billions of devices out there that are in this space which means there's room for the weirdo mushroom that only grows <laughs> under this one kind of tree at this particular latitude and longitude, right? Like yeah. the ecosystem is so big and diverse that there's, there's a niche and there's a niche for this, which yeah. means that it's probably nothing. But we hadn't one more to talk about. It's an outlier. That's what, yeah. you know, and that's that does speak to, I think, a, a certain maturity of the market that you're mm-hmm. getting at, that it's big enough that there's not just one or two things, but that there can be outliers. But definitionally, outliers are not things. Right. By <laughs> definite outliers are not things. Yeah. Just because pens are great and some people like fountain pens doesn't mean fountain pens are a thing. Right. That's right. They're just, okay. there's, they're a strange um, idealective usage. No, really, that's really came up today. It's a useful <laughs> use, uh, use for us. But I hadn't seen something like this. I thought some people might be interested out there. I hope it succeeds. I, I like to see innovation like this and maybe something will come along um, that will work. I wonder about uh, what if. I mean, e-ink eventually is getting more and more paper-like. So someday, mm-hmm. on an infinite time scale, theoretically, we could all own one book-like object that looks like a book with paper, but the pages are actually e-ink, so that when you fire it up, it turns into whatever book you want to read, and then you annotate it like a book, and then you could flip through it, and then you you'd, I'd, I'd toggle from Candy House to Sea of Tranquility to something else. Mm-hmm. Maybe that would be a thing. That's you know, infinite time scales. That's a, that's a big ask, Rebecca. I realize that, but let's get on that. Folks. It is let's a big ask. We well, you know, I think we're kind of close to it. Like I, I read all of my galleys in the Kindle app on my iPad, mm-hmm. because if you do that, they never expire. <laughs> and like, that is the reason that I read them in that app. Uh, don't at me with your Amazon feelings. Yeah. Uh, and if you highlight stuff as you're reading an ebook, which I will do occasionally if I'm reading something that's like, oh, it turns out I wish that I had been reading this in print, but here we are. <laughs> I'm reading it digitally. Mm-hmm. Let me highlight some things. You can you can visit a menu that just shows you all of the highlights and you can jump to them, which kind of creates the feeling of paging through a book to see what you've marked. If you could do that and and access your annotations at the same time. Yeah, that would get pretty close, um, mm-hmm. but the that that is only available on like EPUB PDF things is a big non-starter. 
Yeah, for, couldn't for do what it. We, I mean, at least to, for what we do. Yeah, for what we would do with it. Yeah, you yeah. would need some some kind of way to mess with the DRM file, and once you do that, it's it's a real. Yeah, I think that there. tells me that this is not for readers. Like this is not about reading, and annotating no, books. no, no, yeah. no. Yeah, this but maybe this if you're a muckety muck at a law firm and you're reading your junior whoever's draft of something, yeah. you can get through it quickly. You know, strike a bunch of stuff out, lay some expletives at them, and <laughs> send them on their merry way in a way that's you know maybe easier than sitting down with a laptop. Could be, could very much be. I don't know why it's better than. I mean, there is a truth though that the e-ink experience. I've played around with some. I think they're called Wacom tablets. W a c o m. Maybe it's Wacom. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That are for artists explicitly. And it does feel more tactile than um, even the really good Apple Pencil 2 on an iPad. You know, glass is just different than some of these more matte paper-like finishes. So if you're doing a lot of, like, digital writing, maybe if you're doing so much, just the tactile experience feels better. That I could understand Hmm, if you're doing a whole, whole ton of it. It might be a little bit better. Okay, Pulitzer Prizes. Um, Boy, Rebecca, (laughs) I haven't read any of these. Thing or not a thing? (laughs) The Pulitzers are a thing. This is one of those years. Some years we look at these and like, wow, PRH, 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 right? This is not one of the years. So fiction, probably many of you have seen this already. The Netanyahu's by Joshua Cohen, um, which I read about in Publishers Weekly, and I got a really good review there. That's interesting. I'm not sure. I don't tend to like near historical fiction of famous people. Not my thing. Um, But I'm not sure. But it sounds like it was great. But I think the notable thing for me is NYRB, the New York Review of Books. Wow, big look for them. Yeah. Monkey Boy by Francisco Goldman is the finalist. So the Netanyahu's won. And then Palmeras by Gail Jones, which I have on my shelf. Um, I haven't gotten around to it yet. I was very excited. been a long time since Gail Jones had a book out. Uh, Corregidora sort of maybe changed my reading mind in a lot of ways. It just blew my reading mind, not changed it um, back when I read it. So I'm excited to see her there. I get some sales. Some people know Gail Jones. Uh, I'm not sure what to say. I think, you know, the, my interesting thing for me is there was only like 5,000 uh, in print for the Netanyahu's. Yeah. So everyone's going to run and look for to get some more. Good luck finding one. For the Netanyahu's. I know. I thought about calling a bookseller friend and being like, how hard is this for you right now? <laughs> These mm-hmm. books. I... It reminds me of when Gurno won the Nobel Prize. and There's like literally nothing in print in America for Gurno's book. And now you go to Powell's, you can see a whole bunch of them. But it's like this week is when people would be buying it. Yeah. That's too bad to see. I will have to like familiarize myself. Is the Pulitzers just the calendar year or do they have weird? Do you know? Do they have weird? I believe it's the calendar year. Okay. Um, Yeah. It's the calendar year. Then I I haven't read the Netanyahu's. I did hear good things. I'm sure that it's good and deserving. I I have my personal bias, I guess, is like in a year where there's an Ishi guru (laughs) that that any that I don't know what we have to do for Claire and the sun. (laughs) Right. Like, I don't know. That's, yeah, not to take away from any of these books that I'm sure deserve to be here. And three, there's more than three books that deserve all of this attention in any given year. But this feels like an unusual selection. And I do think you're right that the Pulitzers are the the weirdest of these because of the committee in a committee. Yes. Nature of them. um, The conversations must be fascinating how they arrive at these. And and the Mm -hmm. fact that we continue like each year... There's usually like one or two that we've read, a couple that we haven't read, maybe something that we haven't heard of. And this is one of the years where it's like very, very outside of, of familiarity. And it was 2021 was like a, just an interesting publishing year, an interesting yep. reading year. There wasn't a like monolithic success of like big book of 2021, no. big work of fiction, at least. And 
I do think that those kinds of years lend themselves to or they lead to really interesting conversations if there's not one really clear standout. And like in my mind, Clara and the Sun is the really clear standout. But we didn't agree on that as a reading mm-hmm. public. <laughs> when the reading public has not agreed on the big thing, it's fascinating to see what other micro cultures <laughs> inside this big machine land on as the notable books. And having looked at these, you know, I don't I don't think the fiction picks speak to like uh, any sort of unified concern of the yeah. committee. Sometimes you can draw themes or you can see like, oh, they're really paying attention to like race issues this year. They're really paying attention to this particular thing. Um, small presses is really interesting. Um, that'll be. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. Um, I did a quick look. Um, I knew the Pulitzers were coming out. So I did a quick jot down of like, what titles might you see? Like, what would I expect to see? Or mm-hmm. what would my guesses be? And I didn't do the whole like, um, you know, Vicini and Wesley over the wine stuff of like, well, that's what they think. And they, they go <laughs> right, the other right. way and the Pulitzer's like the zag. So I'm going to have a zig for my zag. But I had Claire in the Sun. I thought other ones that I've read that I thought were good enough and also felt like Pulitzer books. I thought we might see Love Songs of W.B. Du Bois. You know, that oh, one was yeah, talked about yeah. a lot. I thought we might see Detransition Baby. I thought we might see Cloud Cuckoo Land was a little too literary, big I didn't think that was going to be right, but that one's a lot of people who read books like this like to see. I wondered about After Parties, the Anthony v- oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Viasna So. I wondered about The Great Circle. Mm-hmm. So there were books, but none of them I was like, I don't know, My Monticello. Yeah, I, I don't think that wasn't as well reviewed as I thought it true. might have been at the beginning. I paused so, about Colson just looking at, but that was, was, a, that that was, was like... Was that last year? Yeah, it was the fall. It was last year, the fall. Yeah, and, yeah, again, and Jonathan Franzen and Louise Erdrich. Wait, now I'm getting mad. <laughs> yeah, the sentence. I mean, there were books. That's what I'm saying I'm get to. Yeah. So there wasn't a standout winner, but there was a lot of these. But also remember the Pulitzer is, I think, if I remember correctly, there's a standing Pulitzer board. And then for each of the categories, they do like a small subcommittee that mm-hmm. recommends to the full thing. So it's like three or four people reading 50, 100 books or the starts of them, or I don't even know, maybe a couple hundred. Yeah. I don't remember how many they're actually, they're probably given a bunch. Now, what would they do with them? Probably varies from year to year and person to person, but it's a small enough cohort that some randomness is possible. Sure. Right? You're not looking to get like the NBCC or something like that, where you have uh, dozens or hundreds of book critics filling in ballots or like an MV, uh, the NBA MVP, we're having a whole bunch of people and the consensus really builds. So I think with Claire in the Sun, the only thing I might say there, I do think there is a, the dude just won a Nobel. I mean, just sure. by just within the last few years. And if you're the, if you get the right kind of committee makeup, you really might think of spotlighting. Like, mm-hmm. am I really trying to do like crown the best for eternity? Or am I doing a, I really want to highlight this particular one and be, it might be just as good, but I'm not as interested in so much as like picking from the 2025 20, books that River had put out last year or something like yeah, that. Which some know- years feels like that. That's, I think the, those are always the biggest questions that I have, especially about the Pulitzers is that they, they annotate the winners with like a one paragraph summary or like, it's like one sentence, you know, like yes. the, the one sentence about the Netanyahu's is a mordant linguistically deft historical novel about the ambiguities of the Jewish American experience presenting ideas and disputes as volatile as it is tightly as it's tightly wound plot. Okay. But like, talk to me about how that won. <laughs> 
That's the most interesting thing. Like, how did you arrive at this is the thing we want to shine the spotlight on? Because that is the impact. You know, like it might not bump this book or any winner into selling bajillions of copies, but it does. The Pulitzer and the NBA are big enough that people are calling their local bookstores this week and they're they're Barnes and Nobles and they're, you know, Googling it on Amazon of wanting to read this. It it does boost things and it raises your profile. And I I would bet I, I agree with you that some of the function of these committees, maybe that conversation is about where, where do we want to shine a light on books that have not that are worthy and that have not mm-hmm. gotten attention. But I would like them I'd like to hear them even talk about that. You know, like, did they think about the fact that these are three books from small presses? Had they arrived at like a list of five or six that they thought were all equally good and they chose the three from the small press? Like, there's so many ways it could have gone. Maybe they didn't think about that at all. And they just thought these were the three best. And that was the conversation, too. But like, I think you can talk I would love it if they would talk to readers about how they arrive at these decisions and I think that helps us decide what to read like Mm. you know Mm -hmm. I I don't anymore in my reading life read something just because it won a particular award you know like uh, even when you know a lot about how these awards function unless it's like you and I are going to read the things that won the awards because we're going to talk about them on the show but the like this one the Pulitzer so I must go read it is not a thing for me but if it was this one the Pulitzer and here's what they said about it and how they arrived at it that would help me make a decision and I think that's ultimately a better kind of service to these books if spotlighting is some of the work that they're doing here mm-hmm. you know the other thing is I you would think I would be more excited about the reading, like the language of the Pulitzer citation. Like this is a <laughs> prize about writing, especially. Yes. And listen to the words. And I don't want to be like close, F.R. Levis, close reading, but here I go anyway, I guess. A mordant, <laughs> linguistically deft historical novel. Mordant is, dr- is like droll. Like that's not, ex- mordant is the most boring, nice yes. thing you can say about something. And it ex- sounds like and a also word for deft. deft. Yeah. And deft is like fancy guys clever. Which is yes. not that great. I mean, that, I don't think of that as a about the so it's mordant about the ambiguities of the Jewish American experience. So it's mordant and deft about ambiguities. I'm I'm sleep already. I, that's I don't. What is that about? And then comma presenting ideas and disputes. Well, I should hope it presents some ideas. That's the not. least compelling like pitch yeah. for this. Like just the link. But here, then I'm going to go down to the history. One. There's two winners. <laughs> Cover of the Night by Nicole Eustace. A gripping account. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Yes. This first sentence of the Cuba one, an original and compelling history. That's for drama. A funny, poignant play. Also deft. We got to have a moratorium on deft. I'm sorry, Pulitzer <laughs> Committee. You got to c- command F deft or control F deft and replace it with something else. We can't do deft anymore. Anyone who's getting a, bub- a book published by a major house right now no more in deft. this kind of world, they're all, th- all of these can be deft. Deft is table stakes for this stuff. We de- got to like, be better than deft. Was it Kakutani who always said limb? Liminal, yeah, liminal, liminal. yeah, yeah. You can't you get a limb. You gotta you gotta limb your deafness here. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I, I'm not excited about this book. Um, and the semicolon suggests this reminds me of like a nineties nineties subtitle, an account of a minor and ultimately even negligible yes, history in the yes. history of a very famous family. It has a little bit of heartbreaking work of staggering genius, self aware vibes to it, which isn't yeah. bad necessarily. I just don't know. I, I hope it's, I'm sure it's great. I will read this because I will read anything that won the Pulitzer Prize because I'm one of those historical sticklers that wants to at least know what I don't like about the prize winners. I hope I'm wonderfully surprised, but it's going to take me a while to pick up because it's so mordant, you know, because I go to the bookstore, I'm like, you know what I'm looking for today? What do you got in mordancy, pals? (laughs) 
Uh, it does make you wonder about who got to write these slugs and what kind of instructions they presenting got. ideas the and history disputes? presenting yeah. that's as neutral as it gets yeah the history ones do sound much more th- those write-ups yeah. sound much more exciting it's th- this is it's just fascinating i think i would love to hear the pulitzer committees also talk about like so you're you're working to recognize work that deserves recognition you're spotlighting mm-hmm. it for the public like, what is the function of that? Is it just to recognize the craft? Is it to help people who want to read books in some way determine the best use of their book time? Um, are they even thinking yeah. about that? Or is it solely an evaluation of like craft and literary import or cultural impact? Like the, as we know, from looking back at many years of things, if we look at this list in five years, we are unlikely to remember any of these books. Um, mm-hmm. And that's true for almost any list of award winners or bestsellers at any point in time. So like given, okay, most things, this is now turning like maybe I'm becoming mordant. Like it's, (laughs) I've forgotten what mordant means, Mm -hmm. but I might be becoming it. Uh, Like most books are going to be forgotten. Are we trying to mark these as memorable or are we just saying we think these are good works of art? I would be interested in that. Tell me what you're doing here. Yeah, and it could be they just liked it the best. Sure. And for whatever reason, and this is what it is, and they were looking for some more dense. I'm looking for less dense, I guess, on the whole. I'd like to go in the other direction yeah. from this kind of citation. That having been said, I hope the book is wonderful. And I hope when I read it and when other people read it because of this, it's really eye-opening and like, yes, this should have been it. If you have read this, The Netanyahu's, or Monkey Boy, or um, Palmeras by Gail Jones, uh, Monkey Boy by Francisco Goldman, and you have something to say about it, shoot us an email at podcast at bookwright.com. Yes, we can talk about it. Do. You know, I want to ask you to talk to me mm. about Gail Jones because I'm, I hear, I heard expanded your mind or exploded your mind and I am unfamiliar. So, so Gail, I'm going to Google real quick when, when Corrigadora came out. Um, let's see. Corrigadora came out in, I think, 74, 75. And it's set in Kentucky in, I think, just after World War II. And the main character is getting out of a hospital um, and she's a blues singer and she you follow her through her recovery from the injury and her relationships and it's into two sections at flash forwards when one of her boyfriends comes back and it's this fragmented family history but the the real thing I think it was about is it's about domestic and sexual violence mm. and trauma and womanhood and motherhood is like way, way ahead of its time. Talking about stuff like you think of Beloved, right? 1989. This is 16 years before that. And it's even more experimental formally than Beloved and what, and much more, in a way, much more traumatizing. I know that's wild to say, but its own way, its own way it really is. And it's, it's, it's an experimental novel and it's like the odyssey for a black woman. Um, when Mm. her uh, Ulysses for a black woman, blue singer, whose story is about sex, but from a violence point of view. Um, I was not ready for it when I read it when I was 23. I'll tell you oh, that right now. Boy. I'm still I'm still, I'm still, still coming. Um, <laughs> but it's the kind of things like, I didn't know you could do this. Mm. In a lot of ways, I feel like contemporary writing is still, you know, I don't think it's as influential as it could be, but it casts a shadow artistically that you can see in other things That's that people are doing. In fact, it'll... I'll talk about a little bit in Frontless Foyer, something that reminded me of Corregidor just a little oh, bit. Oh, interesting. That yeah, that also makes you know. me think we should do an episode at some point about the books that blew our minds. 
Oh yeah. That's a that's a cool idea. Um and the, I don't remember the new one came out and I think it's pretty long, but it'd been I think it'd been 35 years since she she wrote Corregidora. Wow, okay. I can't remember. It'd been a good long time, so it was too long. Um we were talking about doing an episode about the varieties of one-hit wonders. Mm-hmm. Um and Corregidora almost could have been one, but it's it's uh it's short. I'm sorry. It, it's short. Did I say long? I mean it's really short. So it almost oh, okay. has like a cane cane by Gene Tumor vibe. Mm-hmm. I think experimentally and formally it reminds me most of that. If you want to buy a hardcover of Corregidora first edition, do you have any idea what it's going to cost you? I'm just on Amazon <laughs> right now. Try to remember. I feel like it's either going to be depressingly low or shockingly yep. high, but nowhere in between. <laughs> yeah, that's you're on the right you're on the right vibe. <laughs> A first edition hardcover? Yeah. There's only two available on Amazon okay. right now, if that gives you any hint. Five grand. Oh, that's lower than that. $901. Oh, okay. Good. Well, yeah. okay. And a used in bad condition is 400 bucks. I am unfamiliar um, with the specificity of used. You mean a book and author you really knew nothing about? You don't. You didn't feel good guessing the I value did not. of a book did you not. didn't know existed? Nope. Yeah, okay. Your favorite Palmeiras, game, make me at, guess things. Yeah, yeah, I know. Really like, so, Palmeiras, was this one? This one, do I remember this right? This is super long. I'm sorry. It's everyone's favorite game. Listen to someone scroll the internet on a podcast. I'm so sorry for this. 540 pages. Yeah, so it's really long. Um, oh, I can picture it on my bookshelves down so. Uh Looking forward to that. I'm not sure. I'd, I'd never heard. I, I'm One thing I do like the Pulitzers for, especially is they recognize drama, and they're always pretty interesting. This one's Fat Ham, <laughs> a funny, poignant play that definitely transposes Hamlet to a family barbecue in the American South. I would watch this. Where can I get a ticket? Yes, I yeah, I will today. go to this in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, by James E. James? Iamas? Yeah, James? Sure. I don't know how to say the last name. I looked real quick. I'm sorry. I did do I did do the very minimal effort to try to get that right. Biography Chasing Me to My Grave, an artist memoir of the Jim Crow South mm-hmm. uh, by the late Winfred Rembert as told to Aaron I. Kelly. So that's interesting. Bit of an oral history. Yeah. Sounds interesting. Poetry, Frank Sonnets by Diane Seuss from Grey Wolf. General nonfiction. Invisible Child, Poverty, Survival, and Hope in an American City. This one I had heard of. Got a lot of good reviews. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the place with my nonfiction. I, I can't do tough hangs right now. Someday I'll come back around to it, but uh, I don't have the stomach for this right now. I, 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 I It's about homelessness in New York. I'm sure it's really important, and I'd learn a lot, and my life would be changed, and I would go out and sally forth into the world writing all wrongs, a la um, uh, Man of La Mancha, but I, I, don't have this, I don't have the spoons for it right now. I just, I'm yeah. having the trouble. Serious nonfiction spoons are hard to come by these days. They they really are. Uh, anything else from finalists? Anything else you want to say? No, I don't think so. Just I'm always surprised and pleasantly, like pleasantly surprised to be reminded, I guess, of how many books there are that are good <sighs> and worth talking about that, yes. that we haven't even heard of. And like, I know that there are folks on the other side of it who find it, I don't know, like depressing or challenging that you're just never mm-hmm. going to be able to read all of the things that you want to be able to read or all of the good things. But I love that. I love the like abundance of great material and I think it shores up. It gives me some like spiritual shoring up against concerns about like contraction in the publishing industry or what will happen if more publishers merge together. Like that will be difficult, but we're not going to be short on reading material. No, that's what I've always said. I mean, I as long as there are more books that I would like to read than I have time to read, I myself don't have a problem with whatever happens in publishing. Yeah. Like yeah. that's kind of that's my litmus test and. Yeah. 
some of it is I have a very wide reading um, interest level. Maybe there are people out there that don't get enough. I can't find enough what I like. I, I would sympathize with that. But for me, it's orders of magnitude bigger than I ever. I, there's a lot of these I'd get to, like the Sisters Blackwell about pioneering sister doctors. Mm-hmm. In, totally in. Um, a lot of interesting stuff that goes on here. Check it out. If you read any of these, have strong feelings one or the other. If we said something avoidably barbaric, let me know. I will, in the fullness of time, read the Netanyahu's. I also will read Palmeiras. Um, and if you have seen Fat Ham and you know where I can get a ticket, yes, tell let us. me know. Yeah. All right. Let's do another sponsor break and do front list foyer. All right. What do you want to talk about? I don't remember the last time I did this, so I'm going to be careful. I think the last time I had said I just finished Left on 10th. Yes. So I kind of know where I've, I've read seven or eight things okay. since then. Where do you want to go? I Let's see. Only one of the ones that I've read recently has already come out, so maybe I'll start okay. there. Okay, you'll go there. Uh, it's called Open by Rachel Krantz. I don't have it in front of me, but the subtitle is something about memoir of an open relationship something something mm-hmm. and um so it was presented as like like the jacket copy is like she has this unconventional kind of relationship and then also she discovers that she's queer through that through that dynamic it is a it mm. is a juicy memoir <laughs> this is a sounds it it's a juicy hang it's also really challenging um it's this is like well, I just read it because I heard it was juicy. But if your ears mm. perked up of like, oh, that's the kind of relationship I might be curious about exploring, I think reading this book as an exploration of how to have an open relationship would be akin to like reading Fifty Shades of Grey as an exploration of how to have a BDSM kind of relationship. It's This is an abusive relationship. Uh, the dynamic is really unhealthy. She describes it graphically on the page. There is verbal abuse and sexual assault and a lot of ungood stuff. Ungood, whether your relationship is open or closed, but the like that open dynamic is kind of part of the abuse that this man applies to her, that it takes mm-hmm. her a really long time to recognize is abusive and not just part of like a kink dynamic because she's unfamiliar with any of this stuff um so it was juicy but also i felt very cringy and like where are your friends um i don't know so if you're like in a in the market for a juicy memoir it was not a bad read it was it like read very fast i read it on vacation um but i feel like the i don't know positioning of it could be doing readers a disservice (laughs) like it's kind of not it's not really what it says it is on the box um so that was, but it was juicy and interesting. And then on the things I've read that haven't come out yet, probably the most exciting one is the new Celeste Ng called Yeah, you told me about this. Yeah, that comes out this fall. I don't want to say too much about it because it's like, it's wonderful. And it's, it's Celeste Ng goes a little spec fic. It's set in some sort of like slight future. We don't know the exact year. Um something has happened called the crisis in American culture that sounds like a giant economic crash that had something to do with China. And so legislation has been passed that outlaws any sort of like affiliation with China, any sort of advocacy or positive public statement about China. 
Uh, it's kind of a in the vein of like an anti, like a communist scare sort of thing. Like neighbors are spying on neighbors and turning them in for things. Kids get taken from their parents if their parents are suspected of being Chinese sympathizers. And wrapped up in sort of all of this culture is that people of all sorts of Asian descent mm. are victims of all kinds of violence and oppression and marginalization. Uh, on top of what they experience like now in the real world um, because of what's happened in this world that she imagines. And the main character is a kid whose mother is connected to a movement trying to reunite children who have been separated or taken from their parents because of this stuff. Um, so she like, I read, I think I told you, I, re- I got into like the first five pages and I, she just kind of drops you into the world and starts talking about these things. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> I'm not just like, I'm not in suburban Boston. <laughs> Like, we're in Celesting Specfic with, like, full politics in a way I really mm. loved. I loved seeing her do it. I think it's, it's like, the right time in her career. I don't know how much of it was plotted out of, like, I'm going to do a couple big, juicy, great book club novels that address racism and talk about some of these things, but in a way that's, like, palatable to book club readers mm-hmm. and or, you know, a wide reading public. I do not say book club readers pejoratively. And then like she's positioned to do a thing like this and have a lot of people pick up a book with her name on it and then get to the ideas that she's pushing, mm. the challenges she's issuing to the reader, the stuff she wants to make you face. I'm into it. I was here for it. That's awesome. I'm really looking forward to that. And she's had two commercial successes. Yep. She's had a, one, at least... She's had a the Hulu show. Probably the mm-hmm. other one's been in development. I don't really know where it's been. I'm sure everything's adapted now for anything moderately popular. It's also been a few years, so there's a coiled spring of the last five to six years of politics that I'm sure yeah. uh, Celeste was on a guest on Reading Lies. I got to know her a little bit there, and she has opinions and feelings and ideas, and I'm not surprised. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised, but not shocked to see that she's, I guess, using some of her chips. Mm-hmm. In this particular kind of way, I think it's really, uh, really smart, looking forward really to that. Yeah. Um, I dropped the link into this. I dropped the link to the book I'm going to talk about for a minute because I want okay. you to see the cover. Oh, because okay. I, I think the cover is important here because it's kind of how I got into it a little bit. I saw a review for it in Publishers Weekly, and I was like, "That sounds interesting." Then I was in Powell's and I saw the cover, and it struck me for a couple of reasons that oh, might be okay. interesting. It is the polar opposite of the flowered Instagram cover. <laughs> I was thinking explicit. No, I was thinking explicitly about somebody's daughter, Rebecca. And I'm serious about this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because that's a very tough book. Yes. But the cover is looks like it could be your MacBook wallpaper, mm-hmm. right? You know, or you know, a '90s skirt kind of a situation. So this is post traumatic by Chantel Johnson. She's a debut novelist. I haven't felt about this book. I haven't felt a way about a book that I felt about this book in a long time where it Ooh. took me a place I didn't know I needed to go. And also it's like, why haven't someone done this? And maybe they haven't ever read it before. She's a debut novelist. So the cover is uh, podcasting is a theater of the mind. So on the cover in very stark Helvetica, it says post-traumatic in the corner, bent in the corner at the hyphen. And on the left-hand side, you see a, I guess, a mixed-race woman, mm-hmm. darker-skinned mixed-race woman um, in her bathrobe, sitting on the corner of a bath, looking at herself in the mirror, smoking a cigarette. Yeah. It's unattractive. This it's is a Margot not, Tenenbaum vibe. It's a Margot Tenenbaum, but made not as quirky. This yeah. is not, you're not like, boy, this is going to be a quirky read. Yeah. It's like, is this woman okay? Yeah, That's right. the vibe. Yeah, you're that is the vibe. Me. And the answer is she is not okay. Um, the main character, Vivian, 
Chantal Johnson was a social worker, mm. uh, a social lawyer, a lawyer that worked in um, mental hospitals. And that's what the main character's job is. Her name is Vivian. So there's an element of autofiction here, though I think it can't possibly be the case that they're that close, but I think she's using her experience to tell a story. To me, I don't know really how to, to describe this book. If I If I were to be very, very bombastic, I would say... It feels like it could be the catcher of the rye of our moment in huh. this regard, okay. which it is taking a particular sensibility, a particular experience, and really diving into it. This is a black Latinx woman who is a professional. She went to Harvard. She's doing the good thing. She's out there fighting for people who are being incarcerated for mental illness. The opening scene finds her trying to calm down someone wielding a knife at her in, in Bellevue in New York. But she also has sexual violence in her own history. She has her own hang-ups. She, her family is horribly toxic and unhelpful. Um, she's trying to date. She's got hang-ups. She's a mess. She's smart. She's witty. She both knows what she's supposed to think, and then she also knows what she's actually thinking in the moment and how those two things are different, and you see her working that out. There's, this, there's a couple of particular moments of set pieces I found especially is astonishing. One is she's just on a train, a subway, Looking around, like if you've lived in New York or you've been in New York for a while, you know you do this, where you see like a little unit of people and you start observing them. Like what's going on mm-hmm. with that family, that couple? And this is a black family and they're doing some stuff with each other. And I'll leave it at that. And she's looking at them and then judging them and then judging her judging of them and then thinking about what she's doing. And it, it does express this sort of like metacognition that people have to do both as marginalized people, as traumatized people, but then as people who feel things differently than they want to be. And I think that describes a lot of us. Mm -hmm. And how she captures that, I found completely stunning. I read it in one day, has a surprising ending. This is not easy. I'm sure there are people out there who will find it troubling, not just because of what's depicted, but the manner of the depiction, because it's not easy. It doesn't pull any punches. I can't speak highly enough of it. If there's any justice in the world, people, a bunch of people will read this book and we'll see it. Um, we'll see more books from her and this will be marked as a, a seminal work. Maybe I'm wrong. I've seen no one talking about it. It has 12 ratings on Amazon. I don't know what to say about that. So please, if you're at all interested, give it a shot. Go try a sample. I, I don't know. I, I don't I want to tell it. people to go buy, but please try it. I would like to try it. And if you hate it, great, Rebecca, let's talk about it. If you love it, let's talk about it. If you have read this book and you hate it, please email me. I, I just want to get a little, anything that we can in our little circle to see if there's a thing here for people. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I, you hear, I don't talk about books no, like this, so this I'm not sure what else to say. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not a black person. I'm not a Latinx person. So I, I, I'm coming from my own point of view. I haven't read any criticism of it outside a a good review in Publishers Weekly, which tends to be pretty anodyne. You know, they're not very political. Um, but wow, I uh, I don't know, man. I, I think it was an amazing book. <laughs> it's a portrait. Can, it's a yeah, portrait of a person. I can really hear that. This is as close as you get to verbal exclamation points. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It's it's stunning. I thought it was completely stunning. So um, if, if I had reading lives or any format, I'd get Chantal... Um, or Miss Johnson, or however she'd like—I'll refer to however she likes to be referred—to um, to talk about this because it's it's a really fascinating book, and I don't know—I mean, it's it's a—it's not like a small press. I think it's Little Brown. Ah, um, yeah, it made some lists. You know, Vulture's most anticipated books, maybe Oprah's best books of springs. But for some reason, I maybe people just like I don't want to read whatever that book about nonfiction people in New York having a hard time. For some reason, this is okay for me. I don't know. I'm complicated. Whatever. Marketing budgets are not bountiful for debut novels about really tough stuff. Yeah. 
It also tells you that it's not selling very well when the Amazon discount for the hardcover is 9%. Oh, boy. So go buy it locally. Don't yeah. go buy it. That's what I did. I actually did look. I was like, could I save 10 bucks? No, I cannot. So I bought it at Powell's, mm, and they okay. got my marginal dollar there. A new kind of survivor narrative. That's what it's. That's one of the things. I'm not sure that's right. I, I kind of would like another cr- crack at the marketing copy. I'm sure they know what they're doing. It's not wrong, but... Interesting. Anyway, interesting. Well, I'll be curious speaking to see. of another crack at the marketing copy, I don't... Well... I don't want to come off of a great recommendation and do a like middling thing. Right. But I read Dinner for One by Sutanya oh, Dukrez. Okay. That we can spoil for people. I was is, excited about. Yeah. Okay, is, a, no. is a pick from mm. your, this is a little spoiler from folks who aren't in our Patreon. It's one of your picks for the summer draft and is like ostensibly a memoir about a woman who has moved to Paris with her husband. They break up and learning to cook for herself. It's dinner for one, how cooking in Paris saved me. And I was like mad that you heard of this book and got to pick it <laughs> before I did. Because this is right up our shared alley. And I, so I, I got the galley. I read it on a trip a couple of weeks ago. It's like a, it's a good memoir. It's a fine memoir. But the breakup doesn't happen until like 52% into the book. <sighs> And she cooks like four meals. So oh, come on. <laughs> so it's mostly not dinner for two. <laughs> right, right. So it's mostly like, and I think with different packaging, I probably still would have read this. Mm. Like she meets this man. They have this sort of whirlwind, long distance relationship. They don't know each other very well because whirlwind and long distance. And they, so she, she moves to Paris. They get married and are all of a sudden living together and all of a sudden living together as married people when the three years of your relationship prior have just been long distance of like only long weekends with each other where everything feels like a honeymoon period but like now you live with this person and you see all of them and they see all of you that's a big jump and it's challenging for them and it does not go well and she writes like i think really intentionally and intelligently and openly about how that does not go well. Like she's coming from a mature place of being able to reflect on that relationship. Mm. And she is kind of a disaster when it doesn't go well. Is drinking a lot, not making healthy choices. And like one day sort of is like, I'm going to get my stuff together. And like, I'm going to learn to roast a chicken, <laughs> you know? And listen, if anybody believes in the soul healing power of roasting a chicken, it's me. Yeah, you do. <laughs> And and it's a beautiful passage when she writes about it. And then she writes about like a dinner party that she cooks for friends that it's a failure, but she learns some things and some of the other dishes. So the last I was reading digitally, so I also I couldn't like flip through and see the setup of the book. So the breakup happens at the 50 ish percent mark of the book's total. And then you only get 20 percent more book of writing. The last hmm. chunk is recipes. So it was like of the action that's happening, the breakup really happens about 75% through the action. And I was just mm. like, this is just not how th- this should have been packaged. This is not a book about learning to cook for yourself and how it saved you. It's a book about other kinds of things and relationships and coming of age. And, you know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Market. I mean, it's not quite my funny farm experience, but I can see it's where not. you're coming from. Yeah. 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 You were looking for a little bit maybe from scratch by Tembi Locke, but not quite so dour. I mean, that's kind of what I was yeah, looking for. Yeah, I think honestly. somewhere like cooking. somewhere in the vein of from scratch and like early Ruth Reichel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, yeah, wasn't yeah. what I got. It's that's not bad, just not what I was expecting. Just not what you wanted. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's our show. Um, maybe we'll do a. 
I'm not going to, if we do talk about post-traumatic, we're doing on the main feed because I want yes. people to have to listen to us or decide actively not to listen to us. <laughs> and I, I hope I'm right. It's, you know, I don't go on a limb like this. So now I'm nervously twisting my um, podcast cord around my finger because I've got on an aesthetic judgmental limb here, which I don't like to do. Do you want me to send you all caps texts as soon as I start it, if it's good? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I don't know what I want. That's our show. You can find links uh, to what we talked about this week in all episodes of the Back Book Riot podcast, bookriot.com slash listen. You can choose the email at podcast at bookriot.com. You can go check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash bookriotpodcast. And uh, we're going to, Rebecca and I are going to do a quick break and then stop this feed and then record some discussion about safe tranquility that you can only listen to over there. Rebecca, I'll talk to you in literally two minutes. <laughs> okay. 